Jesus, we come before you this morning thanking you for the gospel, thanking you for this great news that we do not have to stand and cannot stand on our own or on any other philosophy of men or any other uh, false hope, but only you. Only the gospel is a sure foundation. And while the world mocks it and while uh, it seems to be unseen and so far from us that our redemption would draw near, we ask that you would help us even this morning to rejoice in the truths of this great gospel. Father, we lift up uh, this service to you. We pray that you would be glorified in it as we have sought to confess our sin and to be assured of your pardon, to sing to you, to lift you up, to make much of you. And as we continue in worship in your word, would you be honored and glorified and that we would just not just hear it, but uh, put it into practice, Father. We lift not ourselves alone to you, but other churches. We think of uh, Faith Chapel uh, Christian Church here in Ash County, that you'd be with them, Lord, as they gather together. Uh, it's our habit to pray for other churches and to encourage our brothers and sisters in this community. We thank you that we are not the only church, and uh, we are grateful for what you're doing um, through your church universal. Father, we lift up other churches in our network as well. Uh, we lift up Redeeming Grace Baptist Church down in Green Acres, that you would be with uh, Jarvis Singleton, Lord, as he preaches uh, your word this morning. Thank you for leading them to this uh, new place that they're able to uh, lease and that uh, they're um, closer to their target uh, population down there on Green Acres. We thank you for our partnership over the years. You'd encourage him, bring him more leaders. Uh, we just lift up this initiative too to see a church planted in Jamaica that uh, Jarvis and others from the network are involved in. God, would you um, just add uh, grace uh, to those endeavors, uh, provide finances, provide uh, resources, Lord, to uh, see um, a church planted in Jamaica uh, that is honoring to you. And so we lift that to you, Father. Lord, we lift up the persecuted church to you. We think of our brothers and sisters south of us in uh, the nation of Colombia, South America, that you would be with them. And in many places, uh, particularly in rural places where drug cartels are uh, ruling uh, the roost, as it were, we pray that you would uh, give your people grace to continue preaching the gospel and that you would bring many to yourself. And uh, Lord, that these uh, that uh, would attempt to be involved in uh, guerrilla-type warfare with um, just uh, citizens, Lord, that you would um, just give grace, that you would save many and deliver many, Lord, in that nation. Father, we pray for unreached peoples. We Lift up the Gwingong of China, Lord, who are steeped in Buddhism. Father, would you deliver them, that they might know your truth, that they might taste and see that you are good, that they would be able to read your word in their language. Father, we ask that you would bring missionaries to them. Lord, we know that you care for them, and we're humbled because you have come to us, and we rejoice and even await your second coming where many have never heard of your first coming. And so, Father, help us to uh, be a part of getting the gospel around the world and that we would give uh, a clear conscience uh, before you in our generation. 
Father, we pray for the wars in various places. We think of Russia and Ukraine and the ongoing conflict there. We pray for the church in those nations, that they would be able to uh, care for their citizens. And Lord, that you would draw many to yourself. Father, we pray for Israel and for uh, the issues in Gaza. We pray that you would be with um, uh, citizens on both sides, that, Lord, they would seek you, that they would humble themselves. Father, that you would uh, use the Christians uh, within these uh, nations to draw many to you and that your gospel would uh, go forth. We pray especially for uh, those who are marginalized by war, often women and children, and while certainly before you, none of us is, stands guiltless, um, that we have to give account to you. And so use these harsh realities in these people's lives to draw, you, draw them to you. And so we lift them to you. We pray that uh, you would work in the, the, uh, the Red Sea as well and all that's going on with trade and multiple nations there. Uh, we pray for our military, that you would be with them, that you would uh, strengthen them, be with chaplains, Lord, as they seek to minister to the military while they're away from home. Father, we lift up our government leaders to you as you've instructed us to pray for those in power. And while we might not always agree with their policies or how they lead, Lord, we must pray for them and, and ask that you would draw them to yourself, that you would save them, and Lord, that you would um, use them for your purposes. Uh, we know that you raise up uh, the hearts of leaders and you move their hearts like streams of water, and so we trust you uh, in your sovereign, sovereignty over all nations. Lord, we pray for those who are grieving. We think of those who have lost loved ones in recent weeks. We think of the Prevet family, the Holdens here in our community as well. Uh, uh, Scott Morgan's family, Lord, as they continue to grieve the loss of his uh, grandmother. Uh, we pray for George and Grace Ann, Lord, and the death of, of George's brother. And, and now for Greg and Wendy, Lord, who lost a cousin this week and are at a funeral today, that you'd be with them as they grieve. Father, we thank you for our expectant mothers. We think of uh, Whitney and Sarah and uh, even grandbabies uh, like the Fennies are expecting, Lord, that you would be with these uh, babies in the womb, that you would uh, not only bring health but, uh, and healthy pregnancies, but safe deliveries. And uh, Lord, that you would bring healthy babies um, into these uh, parents' arms. And Father, here on Sanctity of Life Sunday, we uh, pray for uh, this um, horrific uh, truth that uh, one of the most unsafe places in our world today is in the womb. And uh, that's a hard thing to fathom, that uh, these uh, children who are, um, are just uh, in the womb and we would think are, seem to be innocent. They've never done anything yet, wrong or right, and yet uh, they live in a sinful world and they're in the darkness of their mother's wombs and we are ashamed, Lord, of um, the policies that have allowed us to put to death uh, the, these great members of, of our, not only our country, but our world, millions and millions of babies. And Father, we pray that you would show mercy upon us. And we know that this issue is related to um, other idolatrous practices in our world. Uh, sexual immorality and other issues that, uh, Lord, we need to repent of. And so we pray that you would uh, show your mercy, and you have shown your mercy. But God, uh, would you, on this day, as we set aside this day for sanctity of life, we thank you for uh, places like pregnancy centers that help to 
uh, alleviate the uh, unexpected uh, in the lives of many who are expecting children, Lord, that you would minister to them. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us in this community as we send resources and human resources to help here at the Pregnancy Center, that you would give great uh, boldness as we um, have this frontline ministry uh, to unwed mothers, but also to wed mothers who are um, just having a crisis pregnancy and uh, maybe not expecting it. And so, Lord, we pray for wisdom there. We pray that you would protect babies um, for your glory and, uh, Lord, for the good of these parents. Uh, Lord, we pray for healing uh, for those uh, that have gone through cancer and for other ailments, Lord. We lift up Christina Grabiel to you. We continue to pray for Dean Mundy. We pray for uh, John Cordy, Lord, in his battle with esophageal cancer. Uh, continued healing for Joe uh, Morris, Lord, after back surgery. And uh, Lord, for Wendy um, uh, Dot's daughter-in-law, Lord, as she continues to heal from heart trouble, that you give the doctors wisdom there. We continue to lift up Ken Lawrence to you, Lord, as he uh, battles uh, various ailments and that you would keep him healthy and Lord that you would uh, give his doctors wisdom. Father we pray for uh, Bonnie's uh, Uncle Sam Lord who's at CMC down in Charlotte Lord after um, having to have surgery for um, a kidney stone Lord that you would help the infection to heal up and you'd bring him great uh, healing. Father we pray for those that are caring for loved ones in various ways and manners. We lift up our shut-ins like Janice and Jack Tyler Sr., Lord, we just lift these to you. And, Lord, that we would not forget them. We would pray for them and visit them, Lord, as you give opportunity. Father, we pray for those traveling. And uh, finally, for our church plan down at Christ Alone, that you would be with Tim and Cindy as they're away at the Founders Conference this weekend, that you would give them great time um, just reflecting on what you've taught them this week and taking some time of rest. And be with Tim as he preaches in a, a local church down in that uh, area in Fort Myers, Lord. Thank you for your grace uh, for that uh, church uh, down in Wilkesboro. We thank you for her. Pray for Nathan uh, Seats, Lord, as he preaches down there. Uh, thank you for giving us resources and opportunity and men to be able to serve other congregations and not just our own. And what a fitting reminder it is from uh, what we'll be looking at this morning. So we thank you for this time. We lift it to you. We lift these prayers to you and the many things that could be on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for braving the icy cold to come out this morning and uh, join us uh, to worship. Uh, we're going to take a, a bit of a break. We're walking through the book of Genesis, uh, but we, after talking to the uh, deacons and finding, trying to seek a date to uh, install our brother uh, Scott Finney uh, to the diaconate, uh, we thought this time of the year evening services would probably not do, and um, so we decided to take a break and focus this morning on this great office that God has gifted the church with. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 this morning, which uh, particularly is a, a precursor to what would, uh, Paul would call the office of deacon that we uh, see in the pastoral epistles, uh, but relatively speaking, we don't have a lot of details about the diaconate. But we do have uh, some things that we can see in these texts that help us to understand what a deacon is and what they ought to do and how they ought to serve. So would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning from Acts chapter 6, and we'll be looking 
at uh, verses 1 through 6. This is God's Word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. One foggy morning many years ago when I was in college, I was arriving back at campus just as the sun was coming up. And there on this long boulevard as you pull into uh, the campus, uh, I saw a figure uh, in the center median picking up trash, a five-gallon bucket in one hand and a, a trash grabber in the other. And as I got closer and I could see who it was, I was shocked to realize that it was our college president. Our college president was picking up trash. And while our maintenance staff was great and we had a clean campus most of the time, it made an indelible mark on me that one of the highest executive positions for our college stooped to serve in this way in picking up litter and not to be detected by anyone because of the early hours of the morning. And so as I think of that, I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Mark 9.35. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and the servant of all. And while this president of ours was a great president of the university, he showed selfless service, but he is also smart enough to not be distracted by daily duties like this to ultimately lead the college uh, over many years in his tenure. He modeled, really, what it meant to be a lead servant. He was never high enough to stoop down and serve in a common way, and yet he was excellent at leading in high executive offices. In our text this morning, we see this very thing. The service of the apostles sought to serve all people, and they were willing to do this, evidenced by this need for feeding of the widows. But we also see that they're wise enough to not do this on a daily basis and let the Word of God, which was to be their primary focus, side to the wayside. And so it's in this context that we have a precursor here for the role of deacon, lead servants that would oversee the ministry of the church in material and physical ways so that they're undergirding the very power of the gospel as it goes forth. It is their ministry and their responsibilities that ultimately propel the word of God forth, enabling the apostles to focus 
in the early church, let alone as uh, new churches were planted and the gospel spread in the known world at that time. But I want to look at this text because I think it gives us some good insight to um, the, the diaconate. So four things. First of all, we're going to see that a problem arose, and we'll look at that. We all hate problems, but God uses problems to uh, teach us and to uh, train us. Secondly, we'll see that uh, the focus was on the priority of preaching and prayer for uh, the apostles. Thirdly, we're going to see that God's answer to most problems are people. Their their, uh, gifts of the church are not disembodied. They're given to us in the form of people. And often when you see problems, people are right behind them. But also solutions to problems often come in the form of people. So we'll look at that. And then lastly, we'll see that all of these things working together, let alone the establishment of these men and setting them apart for this ministry, ultimately brought progression to the gospel. So we'll look at these four points this morning by way of, because we're not teaching through the book of Acts right now, a little bit of background for us. We know that the gospel was spreading quickly in uh, in the book of Acts. We know that the Holy Spirit came upon the early church and in great signs and wonders was the authentication of God himself showing that this was truly a move of God. They were able to speak in various tongues to share the gospel. We see many that are healed and the apostles are seeing the church grow. At this point, it could have been, the Jerusalem church could have been as large as 8,000 people. Yes, the first megachurch. And we see the growth of the, uh, the ministry of the church. It begins to expand, but as it grew, so did persecution. And even in the context of persecution, we find that many in social, the social implications of uh, these things, that many were being uh, left out of society. And so the church was gathering together and taking care of one another, and they were all in awe. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, it tells us that they were sharing all things in common, and that they were breaking bread together, and that they were praying together. Acts 2, 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a joyous thing it is to read there. And often we hear or read in books, oh, if we could just return to the simplicity of the early church and believe God for great things. And while those sentiments are certainly true, we also know that Acts isn't normative. We, in other words, we shouldn't feel bad that we're not having explosive growth all the time. This was a particular place and a particular time, and God was doing a particular work at the very start of the church to authenticate it and to show its power. It's not that the church doesn't have power today, but we can't say that these, there's a litmus test for a true church. We know that that has changed over centuries. But one thing remains the same. The word of God is central to the ministry and God's salvific work continues. It's evidence in our own congregation, is it not? 
It's evidenced in small ways in local congregations as people come to know Christ, as he's working in your life and in mine. It's evidence that God is there. He is still working. His gospel is still going forth and accomplishing what it was sent to do. But we also know that in this context, the gospel was going across lines. What do I mean by that? It was defeating the boundary of culture and progress of, uh, across language and across social structures. What do I mean by that? Well, as God was saving people, we see both the rich and the poor coming to Christ. We see both Jew and Greek. And this was probably harder for the Jews than it was for the Greeks. To see those who would uh, uh, originally have been anathema, that would have been considered cursed and, and outside of, of God and any hope of being saved, and yet they're being drawn near by the gospel. These Greeks are turning from their sin and repenting and being washed, and these bro- Jewish brothers are having to receive these Greeks in and call them brothers and sisters. So all this stuff is going on in the midst of Rome being in power, providing persecution to not just Jew, but now Christians. But the stage has been set for the spread of the gospel. Roman roads and infrastructure have been built, at least in the Western world and the Middle East. And we start to see this this great commerce happening where the gospel spreads quickly, let alone Greek. The language of Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, begins to spread through the known world of that time. And the very uh, plow that had come through under Alexander the Great, God now has used in his power to pave a road for the gospel into what is now present-day Europe. But all this excitement is not without problems. Look here in verse 1. What is the problem? It tells us that there was a problem with... uh, feeding of the widows. Look what it says. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so that's the exciting part, and we see uh, many coming to faith in Christ, that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Don't we love complaints? Uh, I used to joke uh, with uh, the deacons that if I got a call that I didn't really want, I would just send it to them. Our former pastors, we'd say the same thing. It's like, oh, this one's for you, line two, you know, and, uh, and you take this one. It's a, the complaint department. Uh, in fact, we wanted to install an elder just to deal with complaints, how uh, uh, freeing that would be. But complaints aren't always wrong, are they? In fact, in this case, the complaint is accurate. Partiality is sinful. Now, there could have been all kinds of human uh, excuses on why these widows were being neglected. And we have nothing in the text to tell us why this was happening. But the truth is, the Hellenists, or the Greek-speaking Jews, these were speaking out that they were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so, why is this important? Well, some were being served and some weren't you can see how this could be for fighting. They're feeding, uh, you know, so-and-so's mom, but not your mom. And there's this, this uh, lack of, of uh, continuity in the feeding program. Now, this doesn't mean that um, social uh, needs 
should not be met by the church. They certainly should be. In fact, that's where we've gone in the Western world is we've abdicated these things to local governments rather than the church. The church has always led the way in caring for the poor. If you notice, any hospital in our world today uh, that's not private often has a church name or denomination attached to it. Presbyterian or Baptist in Wake Forest, for instance. But you go around the world, this is the case. Why? God has raised up mercy ministries all over the world to care for those in their greatest needs. Education, and I could go on. The Western world has ultimately developed based upon a Judeo-Christian foundation. And this proves not only the authenticity of the gospel, but its effects on those who even fail to worship Christ. That they're beneficiaries, if you will, of where the gospel has gone and created much opportunity. And so it's in this that these were being left out. This is a problem. And just like any problem, problems can disrupt unity. And you can imagine how this could lead uh, Joe and George to be fighting about these things and that there would be disruption in the local church. And yet we see here God's plan to preserve unity that would ultimately uh, distract from the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. You see, the church in Jerusalem is not all that different than our own church. Now, while we may not be dealing with Jew and Gentile Uh, things like they did in the fresh way, people do come together with a variety of different backgrounds and opinions, cultures, families, views on politics, don't go there, views on vaccines, (laughs) views on all kinds of things, how to raise children and how to do life in a variety of ways. What is acceptable to God in our, uh, the way and manner of life that we have? Food, Uh, can bring up problems. All kinds of things that could lead to division in the local church. And yet we see here that God is wanting his word to advance through the likes of people like us and people here in the first century that he was saving. And so we see this problem here, but now we also see the uh, solution um, that the apostles bring and their great leadership here to protect the unity and really provide the opportunity for the gospel to advance while still holding uh, their priorities. Look at verse 2. Look what it says. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. Okay, so this could have been up to 8,000 people. Uh, I'd like to say that this is the first members meeting of uh, the scriptures that we know of. Uh, While they met to worship constantly, they're actually doing business here. It's not something they really want to do. There's a complaint, um, but they're gathering together. So notice the apostles following this order here. They've decided not to take care of it themselves. They have the full number of the disciples together, and they say this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So what does that tell us? First of all, the apostles' calling. Their call as apostles, was to preach the word of God. Now, we know the definition of apostle, that they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ, or that Christ had appeared to them, as we'll see later in the book of Acts uh, to, to Paul. But also, they were appointed to this. So they know that God is calling them to do this, and yet this seems to be a distraction. But notice what they're doing. They are serving tables. 
but they come to their senses that it's not right that the preaching of the Word of God goes into second place in order that this service might be done. But it doesn't mean that this service wasn't important. Notice that. It's just that the apostles shouldn't be distracted by such things. And so for the health of the church, the proclamation of the gospel, and the good of these widows, and the good of the whole congregation to be protected, they couldn't be distracted by these things. The apostles had to focus. And so they said this, verse 3, Therefore, in light of these things, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, the duty of overseeing the feeding of these widows and solving this problem, let alone the complaints. And then look at verse 4, what, what they say. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, while this is certainly true, we see here the apostles were serving tables. They're happy to, but it couldn't be all that they were doing. They, there's things that they could do, but what they had to do and to be good apostles and to follow what God had commanded was to devote themselves to prayer and the Word. They had to. And so this is how they solve it. But notice here that the apostles delegated this to the congregation. This is what's so awesome about the scriptures, that while complaints and problems seem to come through human mouths, the solution also is through people and their gifts. That people are raised up to serve the congregation, let alone the gospel. You see, the diaconate is a gospel ministry. Sometimes we uh, fail to look at this, that we either um, think deacons are mere servants to um, uh, be glorified janitors, and then on the other side, in some of our churches, we've inflated the role of deacons to really uh, boss pastors around, and when they don't like them anymore, they fire them and they get a new one. So how do we keep away from these extremes? Well, just like any extremes in our lives, we go back to the Word of God and we see that there's a beauty here. In fact, in the history of the church, many have restructured um, how the church is set up as far as leadership is concerned. If you go into some uh, Reformed traditions like the Anglican church, there's a hierarchy of those. And it's very interesting as you read about this that um, many start out as deacons and they kind of climb the ladder up into these higher uh, escalons of the organized church. But the scriptures seem to hold out these two offices, not in com uh, competition to each other, but ultimately as support roles to ultimately the same ministry, which is the glorification of Christ, the expanse of the word, and uh, making sure that many people come to know Christ. It's gospel ministry, but there's differences. And so let's look at how this goes forth. They come up with this problem, uh, they, or solution to this problem. They want to focus on the primacy of the preaching of God. Well, at first we might think, well, this seems kind of selfish. You know, if they're really good apostles, they would get down and get their hands dirty and start serving people like they should. After all, Jesus modeled that. He washed people's feet. Well, that is absolutely true. That's why I showed you that that's what they were doing. But do you see that when we don't do other things, it can be just as harmful. Preaching is what God had appointed them to do. Not everyone has the gift of teaching or preaching. And while, yes, it's up front, there's many 
uh, weights uh, to such gifts. And at other times, God gives gifts to, as we'll see in the life of Stephen in the book of Acts, which we don't have time to uh, walk through his life, but read that this afternoon. Walk through the book of Acts and see how God uses this deacon who's got preaching abilities and is doing all kinds of gospel ministry in addition to starting here, serving tables. And so notice that they don't want their time to be consumed with things uh, that are not on their task list to do. And so the communication of the word of God is held up by both these that are coming behind it and the apostles themselves. And you think about that for a moment. If we, we can be the best ministry acting church in a given community, we could do that. But if we do that at the expense of the word of God and the ministry of the word, we won't be a church long. You see, the priority of the pulpit ministry, it gets derailed when our purposes go away from the gospel. The word of God is central. The pastor's not central. The word of God is central. Pastors can be replaced and will be replaced. But God's word must go forth. It's the, it's the place, it's the office of, of both elder and deacon that God uses to make much of himself in the world and in the local church. And so God won't share that glory with another. And he won't use uh, service-focused uh, ministry as an exception of the preaching of the Word of God. In fact, service is fueled through expository preaching. You see that all over, the, all over the world, let alone in this text. The Word of God was expanding, and they have all kinds of compassion for their world. People are coming to know Christ. The early church, even... Even uh, secular writers in the first century were talking about Christians and how they love and care for one another. There's issues uh, within Rome that deacons often would lay down their lives rather than give up other Christians. They took the lead in service in their world and to their congregations. This office is not a secondary office. It is a primary office that God has gifted the church and while elders and deacons are different, they're not in a hierarchy. And the diaconate is not a mere stepping stone to elder. And elders have a different calling than deacons do. It's both of these offices acting like pillars to hold up and protect the church. And so we see the priority of preaching. I think one of the most common uh, failures of the local church today is when we separate the Word of God from the um, work of God. And a lot of that happens because we put service above the Word. In fact, we need to start seeing again and recovering this truth that ultimately the Word is what fuels gospel-centered ministry. Many years ago, I was on a task force that wanted the local churches here in Ash County to be involved, but they didn't want to hear what we had to say. And ultimately, that bothered me. Why? Because they were hoping for us to bring some good, but they want to separate it from our message, which is the gospel. And if a church has a message, it ought to be the gospel. Otherwise, we're misrepresenting Christ. But if they want our help and they want our money and they want our attention to solve a, a true social problem, and yet they want to separate it from the gospel, they've immediately cut off their feet from getting help from a gospel-centered church. And those, I don't last long on those boards because I can't keep my mouth shut. 
And I try to tell them that the gospel is what people need. These other things are important. Yes, you want to feed people so their ears can be open to the gospel message. I get that. And to, to meet those needs. And you go uh, on missions trips, and, and I have in various parts of the world and seen extreme poverty. And it's very true that people are just hungry. So feed them and clothe them, yes. But we can't end there. They, they will get hungry again. They, their clothes will wear out again. You can dig the well. The well's going to get dirty, and you're going to have to maintenance that well. And those are important things. Don't get me wrong here. But if we don't plant the Word of God, these things will not be lasting blessings to their lives. In fact, they could be curses. When we start, and especially in the Western church, to focus that somehow a way of life or capitalism is their hope and their sole idol to save them from their misery. No. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can be content in our circumstances. To watch Christians in Nicaragua many years ago was a blessing to me to see that they were content people. And I was the one who was coming home convicted of my own sin and how much I took for granted. And while we have our own weights to bear in our own culture, how often I was surprised at my lack of humility, my lack of generosity, and my lack of contentment that God brought. So here, here in the local church, we see what God is doing here in uh, the life of the church at Jerusalem and how he's calling them to focus on the primacy of God's word. So, as we see, the apostles had been distracted. It would be a totally different scenario. So we see the problem. We see their solution here to uh, put these men in place. And so now let's look at the people. Let's look at how this uh, goes forth. They're devoting themselves to the word. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Notice that the church chose these men. Just as we're about to install Scott in a, a few moments, uh, this came to the attention of many of us as people noticed that Scott was already using his gifts. And as we have greater need, that God brought forth this in the minds and hearts of people in the congregation. It's not an elected position in the sense of uh, that we, we got to uh, vote in a sense of uh, competition. We do vote, but that's ultimately to check ourselves. Is this a person that should be put in this place of office? Do they meet the qualifications? Do they have a heart like these men here? And notice, they requested multiple things and some of the reasons that they would have to put people in this place consider the qualifications that a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. When you're dealing with problems and people, you need the Holy Spirit. You're, you don't have enough energy in yourself to deal with people and their complaints. But notice it's a man of faith as well. They got to believe God and trust him for what he's going to accomplish through their hands and feet. And these men, we don't have a lot uh, about them, but we do know that uh, that they served in various ways. We don't have time to look into their, all their lives, but uh, Stephen, we do know, is mentioned after this point as having a pretty extensive ministry. And you can read, like I said, about that uh, later. In fact, it's in that context uh, Stephen is seized later uh, in this chapter and, um, and killed for his faith. 
uh, because he was outspoken and served uh, and was well known. And so it's in this, even though we don't know much about these men, we know that they were set apart to uh, feed those widows. And while that didn't make it into the text of Scripture, uh, their glory, again, is in heaven. And that God would be glorified with these men. As I said before, gifts are not disembodied. They're given to us in the form of people. And we all have them. Every single one of us. I'm so encouraged over the years to see our young people stepping up to the plate and serving. And you don't see that in every church. And I'm constantly encouraged by a a context of discipleship that we're able to give young people the opportunity to serve Christ in his church. You're never too young to serve. And while many churches even have limits on not being able to join a church till you're uh, 18 years old, I think if they're ready to take their step of faith and be baptized and they're sharing their faith, that they have just as much opportunity as a young person to lead and to minister as anybody else. In fact, you look at all of Scripture. Mary was probably a teenager when she gave birth to the Messiah. Daniel, a teenager when he stood before Nebuchadnezzar uh, the first time as he grew in, in Babylon. We, the, think about David. David responded to the Lord early in life. He took down Goliath by faith as a young man. We can't wait for these things. Young people, I want to encourage you. Serve the Lord with your gifts. Ask those around you to come around you to show you what your gifts are, that they would be confirmed and we would recognize them and that you can serve. And yes, not always in the office of elder or deacon, But don't forget those, let alone becoming missionaries, let alone serving in some capacity. We're all given gifts. And this church has been given precious men to serve as deacons. We have five such men. And that's not the case in every church. Greg has served our church for almost 10 years. I was looking at our church records, kind of went back through, and Greg's been serving us for 10 years. Something to be celebrated. Rick uh, has been serving us and Brandon for four years. Nathan has served now for 18 months. And now Scott Finney, who's we're going to install today. These men have responded not just to the support system that's needed and the calling for this office, but they're willing to serve people. And they were doing that before they were installed to this office, which shows their gifts. And I'm humbled because these men don't just serve us. They serve in our community. They serve in a variety of ways uh, that they're not asked to do by us as a church. And you consider Nathan even this morning. He's preaching down at Christ alone. They don't even have deacons yet. And so our deacons are able to share uh, in the life of another church that we planted. And the refreshment that God brings to us as elders is encouraging, especially this year. What a tremendous comfort this uh, year that my deacons have been to me. I don't own them. They're not my deacons, but our deacons. They serve us. And even in the dark days uh, that we've been through, God has used them to uh, put my head back on and not quit, not throw in the towel. These men here in our text are overseeing this work that needs to be done. Deal with the complaints. Make sure the widows are served. But ultimately, their primary ministry is that the word of God would advance. And notice that elders and deacons have that same mission. The mission and the most important thing is that the gospel continues to be a uh, coming out of the lighthouse of the church, as it were. 
And so they're an integrable part of the gospel ministry due to their ability to aid elders, let alone every congregation, in kingdom priorities. So our text, this naturally freed the apostles to not be distracted. And Paul even says this in 1 Timothy, rather 2 Timothy, uh, considering giving these responsibilities to other faithful men. He says in 2 Timothy 2.2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But he also communicates to Timothy concerning elders and deacons, these two offices, because they're vital to the health of the local church. Here in verse 5, we find this list of seven men, but I want you to notice another detail about these men. These men all have Greek names. Notice that the Greek-speaking Jews are the ones that are being left out. God raises up Greek men to serve almost in a humorous way that these men, these Greeks are going to solve this problem. They're going to serve their Jewish brethren. And there's this beautiful unity that's happening that while Jews and Gentiles have known to live apart for centuries, forever really, now God has brought them together in the gospel and the sweet unity of people serving one another is absolutely incredible and I don't want us to miss that. These Greek men are now undergirding the gospel in the Greek-speaking world, let alone the social implications that would come out of such ministries as feeding widows. It would be a clear sign to the sinful world that Christians love one another. And so as we've looked at these men, we see great things. But besides serving the church in this manner, we know that God ultimately uses deacons again for the multiplication of the gospel in many places. Deacons, as it were, could be multi-purpose service tools in the hands of a redeemer. Just because they have business background or the ability to be mechanical isn't the qualification. The qualifications are ultimately of their heart before God so that they can serve and, yes, use these gifts and talents in a variety of ways. Our deacons are quite talented in multiple areas of life and ministry. And that certainly aids in our ministry, but it's not the ministry. And so God uses these things. He knows what we need, and they are able to serve in these ways. These particular responsibilities are not always the same as elders, but they're similar. And we know that God uses these uh, in various places. We also see here that these are considered servants. The actual word deacon actually means servant. Now, there's other New Testament texts that we don't have time to go into today that remind us that it's not just men, but women who were playing an integral role as servants of the church. We think of Phoebe and others that are mentioned in the text of Scripture. And while most Reformed churches would maintain the interpretation of a male-only office, I think it's interesting to look that we don't have detailed uh, proof, really, as we exposit the Scriptures, that it's only uh, reserved for that uh, that, uh, that it's reserved to one, te- or one sex, rather, that it is also that women that are have an integral part in the life and ministry of the church. And so the context of Scripture ought, sh- ought should drive this and this ministry and not just our uh, consistency to traditions or even confessions. The Word of God is what is sufficient. And we should look at this as how God would have us to serve our churches and let alone serve the world and undergird 
the ministry of the gospel. And so while churches can and do disagree uh, really on the office of deacon and what they ought to be doing, notice that it's ultimately about service. These men here in verse 6, notice, they're set apart by the apostles to, uh, and laid their hands on them and prayed for them and appointed them to this office so they could deal with these issues. And this is exactly, again, what um, deacons do today. The diaconate exists ultimately to support the ministry of the Word of God and uh, to the people of God. And his gift is in this way. But finally, let's look at how all of these things in the right place ultimately led to the progression and growth of the gospel. Look at verse 7. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. So again, the focus here, the word of God is increasing. Uh, Disciples are being multiplied. Now notice the, the math language here. As, as God is multiplying the church, conflict and division, would, division would also be a, uh, a math word, that instead of that, they're guarding unity and they're continuing to multiply. That doesn't mean that all multiplication is healthy, um, but it does say that the word of God is what is increasing. And when that happens and disciples are made, that is healthy growth. And notice that even priests... These are Jewish priests that are coming to faith. So what an awesome reality here that even the religious world is being challenged here. So how is it growing? Well, the progression, of course, you could read about it in the book of Acts, and you don't want me to read the whole book of Acts for you, so I won't. But by appointing deacons and um, by the apostles, we see the Great Commission is continuing on. And notice even that as these grew, the steady diet of God's Word is what the attention and focus of the author Luke in writing this text. His focus is the word of God. It's not the apostles. It's not the deacons. It's not even the widows who are being left out. The focus is on the advancement of God's ministry uh, through his word. And he refocuses this through these things and the priority again of preaching. Resulting, notice here in verse 7, disciples growing, proof of God's power, His excellency, Christ is being exalted, and not these people. Church, God is glorified in His church when we're satisfied in Him and Him alone. When we recognize the wisdom of appointing this office of both elder and deacon for the protection of the unity of His church and the provision of everyone's need. And so we reflect Christ's glory to the world who doesn't even know how to love. They don't even know a definition of love until we've truly known Christ, that he came and to serve. And so we ought to go and do likewise. So you might think, oh, this is about deacons. What does this have to do with me? Well, I think there's multiple applications for us this morning. First of all, the first application is we're going to do just this this morning. We're setting aside Scott Finney as a deacon for this church. His ministry in, a, in this official way is starting today. And we're going to do that in a few moments uh, after the offering. We're going to install Scott Finney into the office of deacon. And Scott's an example here of what it means to serve. He's uh, multi-talented in many ways and has definitely got the attention of this church. 
and God has used him and raised him up, and God is uh, working in and through his life uh, to serve in ways uh, that are sometimes unseen. But secondly, I think there's opportunities for us to make some application to our lives. Are we corporately meeting needs? Are we helping in the sense of while deacons are in office, all the work of the church is not on their shoulders. In fact, they're to be lead servants in this way. They're leading the way in how we ought to serve. And so if there's a way that you want to serve in this church, ask a deacon because they know and have an understanding of what needs to be done. I can think of multiple applications here to encourage those to serve. But we thank God for those who serve um, in teaching and planning and uh, small group hosting and uh, leaders in various ways, our Sunday school teachers and others that serve behind the scenes to see the ministry of the church go forth. Thirdly, what about you? Is the word of God a priority in your life? In what ways is the priority of the preaching of the word of God undermined by us not serving in a way that we ought to? What if these seven men, they couldn't find seven men? What if, what if they weren't able to serve? What if the apostles felt this continued frustration to not be able to meet these needs and still give attention to the word of God in prayer? The current threats in the church today may not be full onslaughts from Satan himself. I've found much more often in ministry, it's distraction that Satan often uses as a tactic in the Western world. He distracts us by good things, doing good things to distract from what is best. And both elders and deacons, let alone the average church member, needs to work hard to keep priorities, priorities. I need help with that. Many times our own deacons have come to me and told me, stop doing what you're doing. You need to continue to focus. And I'm thank- thankful to God for those times because I needed to. But we need to seek to obey the Lord. Put the primacy of God's word in your own life. What a great thing to be reminded of here at the beginning of the year that the Word of God needs to be our priority and we need to grow biblically and we need to uh, continue to uh, become literate in this generation. Um, we're, we're to hold to the mystery of the faith, it says, of deacons and so ought we all to do so. So woe to us if we don't put the priority of God's Word in our lives and families. Fourthly, a great application really is to remind all of us that we're gifts to the church. As we install Scott here in just a few moments, he's a gift to this church. He's not a disembodied gift. God gives gifts to people. And so how are you serving? You are needed because you were given to this church. What drives you? How has God gifted you? What are you passionate about for God's kingdom's sake? Those are good questions to start asking if you don't know where you ought to serve. Would you join us in making Christ known in this community to serve him as he taught us to serve and as he has served us through his son? Fifthly, are you enabling the word of God to spread as we see in this passage? And while we certainly know that uh, elders and deacons are responsible for that in the life of the church, we also know that we have uh, members that are often gifted in ways to serve Check out Ephesians 4. If we had more time, we would go there. That God gifts the church to serve and to uh, see the gospel go forth. Are you sharing the word of God with others? Are you seeing the gospel spread? What are the implications on your life if you sacrificed 
just one area or even a pleasure in your life to ultimately minister to others and disciple others. God calls us all to do this. It's not just the job of pastors and deacons to make much of God and to disciple others. We're called to do that for all. Scripture doesn't just imply this, again, as a corporate responsibility, but really for all of us. And knowing this congregation well, I don't want to fail to mention that sometimes you moms are serving beyond, beyond what you're able. And I want you to think about that. You have a huge responsibility in discipling your own children. And so don't hear me saying that if you're not involved in the official ministry of the church, you're not discipling. Oh, you are. Day in and day out, you are giving yourselves to your children and discipling them in the word of God and the world that God has given them. And so you need to continue doing that. That is good work. And so that is what our example is, to serve others. But God does call us to make disciples outside of our family. Otherwise, we would all have the same last name, and that would be really depressing. So what is the glorious calling that God has given to you to endure in and to see that God is going to ultimately uh, discipline us all in the growth in his gospel? And so be encouraged there. Think about that. Lastly, Perhaps you're listening to this this morning and you're thinking, oh, this is about a church office, it's about serving the church, and maybe this doesn't even make sense to you because you really have never trusted Christ. You've never really trusted him, and you find that you are not able to serve right now, but you have a great need. Well, know that the great servant of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to serve you this morning. He wants to serve you the greatest news that you have ever heard, that he will exchange your sin for his righteousness and you, by faith, can be born again this morning and join this great family that is serving and loving one another. And the reason that we are so encouraged and so hopeful is because this great God has taken a towel and washed our feet. And then he went to the cross and he died for us. But he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his spirit. He gave us his joy. And therefore, the gospel is what motivates us this morning to serve our worthy king. So not just the office of deacon, but his glory displayed in the local church is to his glory that he is made much of, that he is treasured, that he is exalted, that he is enjoyed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text of scripture in the book of Acts that is a precursor to what would become the regular practice of the churches, to install faithful people to the office to undergird the gospel, to underword the preaching and primacy of the word of God. And while the apostles lived their lives out and many of them martyred, but churches were planted and elders were established, so the office of deacon. And perhaps it's not focused on enough, the ministry of deacons in the life of the local church. And perhaps it's because we're not seeing everything they do. As we often hear and have to attend our ears to elders, that it's a teaching gift, it is a leadership gift, a shepherding gift, we often don't see the selfless service of deacons. And so we pray, Lord, that you would undergird our deacons to do a very important task in this church that you have called them to, not just us, but as they attend to 
the organizational structures of this church and seek to care for each member and seek to consider even the future and what ought to be done in planning and in finances and in all these things. God, would you fill them with your spirit? Would you encourage them if they're discouraged? Father, would you enhance their ministries? Would you help them? And Lord, I know you're strengthening and doing something here because you've given us Scott. And we thank you for him. We thank you for him joining this uh, serving team. And as Lord, as he continues to serve, would you use his ministry to uh, encourage us all and to even uh, maybe even convict us, Lord, of our uh, inabilities at times or unwillingness to do that which you've called us to do. Father, we thank you uh, for this great gospel. We thank you for reminding us how worthy you are to be served because you indeed loved us first. So we lift these things to you. May you be glorified in us as we're satisfied in you. Amen. Static electricity. It's a great thing. Almost took me out. Um, would our deacons come forward for this morning's offering? And uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for the opportunity to worship you, not just in prayer and in confession of sin, uh, rejoicing in our assurance of pardon, uh, turning in uh, song to you and to each other, and looking at your word and praying. Father, now as we go to give, would you be glorified in these gifts that you have provided? Father, would you uh, take these and give us great wisdom in caring for uh, the things that you have called us to care for, for the provision of missionaries and for the poor in this community, let alone the things that you've uh, given us responsibility for uh, as far as the saints are concerned. So help us, we pray. Give us great wisdom. We thank you for these gifts. Uh, we give them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
this time I'm going to ask uh, Scott and Kimberly, would you all come forward? And um, as they come up here to sit and may feel awkward for a moment, <laughs> we are going to pray for them. I'll let our deacons come back in in just a moment. But while we're waiting, I want to read from 1 Timothy 3. Paul gave uh, us instructions on what the qualifications of uh, deacons are. And so I just want to read that, and it's very interesting, no matter how you interpret this passage, uh, whether it would be translated as uh, the wife of a deacon or deaconesses, either way, there's, there's qualifications here. And so it certainly involves um, the wife of a deacon, um, at very least. And so we see in verse 8, uh, Paul says this, he says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In my conversations with Scott, he's often shared how humbled he is as he is a work in progress like we all are and feeling at times the weight of an office like this is sobering. And I've been pleased to see his heart and his desire to serve this congregation in this way. He had every right to say no. And so um, we're thankful for him taking this step uh, to serve as a deacon of this church. At this time, I'm going to have um, uh, our deacons come forward, and we're going to um, uh, pray for these. And they m might not be back yet. Um, but we're going to pray for Scott and for uh, Kimberly as we install Scott to the office here. Um, two of our deacons are gone. Uh, Rick is gone. I mean, not Rick. Uh, Greg is gone um, in, to a funeral. And Nathan is serving at Christ Alone down there. So at this time, uh, let's pray and, uh, and lay our hands upon Scott as we uh, lift him up to this office. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Scott and for Kimberly. We thank you for bringing them, first of all, as gifts, as members to this congregation. And today we're setting them apart for a greater service to this church. And that is this office that we have just heard about this morning, the office of deacon. And so, Father, we pray for Scott. We ask that you would undergird uh, his ministry in this church, that you would use his gifts and his wisdom that you have brought him over many years to um, give him uh, the, uh, the strength he needs to serve not just this church, but our community. Father, that you would join his gifts to the gifts of the other deacons, Lord, and Lord, that you would help uh, them collectively be the uh, men that you've called them to be that you would give great wisdom to them uh, in this office like you have the office of elder to uh, help us to keep our priorities straight and our 
uh, focus sure on your gospel and this message. And so, Lord, we uh, come before you now um, laying hands on these, Lord, to uh, entrust your gospel uh, to them and the material uh, needs of this congregation and the physical things that could distract from the primacy of God's word that you would gift them in these ways. Lord, I pray for Kimberly as well, Lord. Thank you for her help um, in so many ways of service. Father, thank you for her abilities for organization and um, helping in the office in a much needed year. Father, thank you for her um, love for Scott and the team that they are. And not only how they serve this congregation, but its ministries. And there are countless hours of uh, donated time to the Pregnancy Center and, and other ministries of this church, let alone people that have been marginalized through uh, various and sundry uh, issues in our community. So we just thank you for them. We um, pray that you would protect them, that you would guard them from the enemy. Father, that we would not just be um, um, selfishly looking at what we can get from them, but ultimately how we can look to them in leading us and how to serve. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us in this way. Father, we thank you for this example in the scriptures that people are set apart for a particular ministry. And in this case, uh, this great office. And so we exalt you this morning. We know that while uh, we often sometimes are in the spotlight, that God, you ultimately are the one that is to be glorified. And so it's by the installation and laying our hands on these dear saints that, Lord, you are glorified and your uh, ministry continues. And so we lift uh, Scott to you and we lift Kimberly to you. Thank you for them. And we just pray that you would, um, again, use Scott, Lord, on this deacon team to make much of you. And we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, deacons, for all that you do in the life and ministry uh, of this church. This time I'll ask the music team to, to come and uh, lead us in one more song before we bring the benediction. All right, if y'all would stand.